guys, welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with your host, yours truly, Andrew Taylor. In this episode, I interviewed Ethan Knight. Ethan is the executive director of the Gap Year Association. In 1996, he and I both graduated the same year of high school. Back before gap years were a thing in the US, he took a gap year to India, Nepal, and Tibet. He convinced his parents to do this thing that was crazy and they loved it. So the experience changed his life and he's pretty much been working in gap year programming ever since. In this episode, we cover a lot of the research around gap years. There's a lot of great research supporting them. For example, did you know that young adults who do gap years actually graduate from college faster and are much happier in their careers after the fact? So you will notice right away that Ethan and I have a lot in common. We had a blast talking about gap years and how they've been impactful in both of our lives. So thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, Ethan Knight, a man after my own heart, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Andrew. It's good to be here. So uh, in the 90s, you and I are both kind of the same age. We were probably graduating high school in the 90s, and that's the first time I heard about gap years. And I remember as, as kind of a wanderlust myself, I was like, this is a fantastic idea, but it's only something they do in Europe. I had a couple of gap year experiences, and from what I can tell, you did too, how did you get into gap years in the 90s when no one was doing them? It, it's funny. So, so I, I sometimes joke that I'm like, this is totally going to date me, but I'm kind of like the hair club for men guy for gap years because I, I got to benefit from taking a gap year, but then also got to found the organization that now does a lot of the oversight for the whole industry. Um, and, and it's funny how I landed in a gap year was um, I had gone from a, a, a pretty good high school, a private high school education. I, I always feel encumbered to say that um, I was the scholarship kid in that high school. But um, someone came and gave a talk to me about a gap year. And, and I think one of the, the most powerful things that came from that gap year talk was just the idea that there was a, an alternative path to adulthood, to career to college that had merit that wasn't directly to college. And so, you know, there's like, you know, 500 of us in the auditorium and this dude is giving a talk about gap years. And I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of a cool idea. So I scheduled some time to go talk with him after the, 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 the sort of the general session and got really excited. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I, don't, I feel like this is probably so true, especially more so for, for young men. Um, but as I got further and further along the path, of exploring the gap year, my comfort level got farther and farther away from home. And so I did what a lot of us did. Um, I, I sort of started looking at the gap year and then I backed off and I was like, all right, well, I, I guess I'll just go to college instead. That's the easier path. And I did. What so, everybody's so doing, what I, right? That's the template. Yeah, That's a Exactly. Exactly. That was, that was like what every, and everybody in my high school was, I mean, this is like, you know, 95% graduation rate. It's just what you do. And so um, I started looking at college and, and, and the way that I say it is I followed the herd um, um, to college because I didn't have my own reasons to go to college. Just like what you said, I just did what was next. And my freshman year in college, I did what a lot of what freshmen do. I smoked a lot of pot and I, I had my share of drinks. I joined a fraternity and I started standing back and looking at the math of it all. And I was like, you know, I did what a lot of college students. So I calculated how much, how much per minute I was paying in classroom time. And I was like, this is not insubstantial. And I thought, I am wasting my parents' money. I'm not really learning much. I was like, I, there's got to be a better way to do this thing called learning and growing. And so I reached back out to my folks at the, the Gap Year community. That was, it was at that time, it was Leap Now. 
um, sort of an offshoot of interim programs. And we started talking. And I took a, what I ended up doing was taking a leave of absence for a year after my freshman year in college. Um, and I, I spent seven months traveling in India, Nepal, and Tibet, um, um, doing sort of volunteering along the way. And then I came back and I picked up work for five months here doing like retail work. And I ended up actually saving about $1,500 over the course of my gap year and banked a whole lot of really profound experiences. Wow, that's great, man. And, and I, I'm shocked that your school had someone come and speak on gap years because my, my perception of that time and, and even maybe, you know, the early 2000s is that U.S. culture kind of laughed at the idea of a gap year or we admired it from afar. Maybe that's just my perception, but gap years have taken quite a while to, to catch on in the U.S., right? I mean, what, what's the history of that in terms of Europe, Australia, and then now where we're at in the U.S., where I feel like it's just starting to truly catch on? Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, I feel like we were finally like reaching some some saturation of understanding about what a gap year is, what its benefits are in our country. And it's funny because for the, the the longest time in the gap year sector here in the states, there was this sort of pall, this sort of uh, you know general impression that it's where you go if you're a, if you're like if you're sort of fraught for failure, right? It's like if you're not quote unquote ready for college, which just sounds like a failure, right? Like. So it had this sort of like negative um, um, connotation. And in reality, sort of, I've seen students go off on these experiences, they come back and they're always better for them. Not to say that sort of, you know, I always like to say sort of a gap year stands to benefit anyone who takes one, but it may not be right for everyone. And that's just sort of a, a, a simple rounded way of couching my bets and sort of saying like, if you're really gung ho and excited to go to college and, and sort of embark on four or five or six more years of real, of academic learning, then let your enthusiasm guide you because that's going to be, you know, it's one of my favorite sayings is passion is a better predictor of success than IQ will ever be. Because generally speaking, if you're passionate about something, you're going to perform better in, in those ways. Um, uh, but I'm sort of getting off topic. You had asked sort of like what the gap year is in the US versus maybe other countries. And you're right. It started off in the UK. Um, like most of us know, you know, when we think of a gap year, we think of it as like a British thing. And so it's been around for a long, long time. You know, the princes did, did gap years and that hit a bunch of news. It was funny because like when Malia Obama did a gap year here in the States, it, it saw a very similar sort of peak of interest, web traffic, sort of overall, you know, like, like countrywide response as when the princes did it in the UK. Um, but it is different because the UK model is a slightly different model than it is in the US. And I think that's somewhat hedged around the idea of how college is done differently. So, so in the UK, when you're doing a bachelor's degree, it's, a three, it's typically a three-year degree and you go in and choose your major sort of year one. So if you change your major, you go back to zero in a sense. Whereas in the US, we assume on average four years now, you and I know, sort of statistically speaking, it's more like six and a half for the average <laughs> bachelor's degree, but on average four years. And in those four years, you know, students are, are, are exploring a whole variety of different things with changing of majors an average of five to seven times. So like that whole idea, your freshman year, you're going to go and sort of kick the tires and a bunch of stuff. Well, you know, the, the great irony is most of us, so this is the running joke in our field, is, is most young adults take a gap year it's just called their freshman year. And so we all sort of <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all talk about what that means, right? Um, you know, just like I did, smoke some pot, um, um, join a fraternity, drink some beer, like 
that's your freshman experience. Not so heavy in the academics, much more in the social. And so sort of I think one of the, the, the core value propositions that the U.S. has tried to do with the gap year market as compared to like um, um, the U.K. or Australia is the U.S. market tends to put more of an educational sort of focus on it. And I think partially that's a matter of you know, U.S. families don't want to fund a party for, for a year. I mean, even though it's kind of what's happening your freshman year. Um, um, and we want a little bit more structures and supports, right? If we're going to go in, we want, to, we want to get the maximum value out of it. In the U.K., for instance, the gap year tends to be a little bit less expensive, a lot more independent, um, a little bit less structured, and quite frankly, a little bit more party-centric. And I think in the U.S. mindset, it's like, I'm happy to invest in this because the educational outcomes are so good, but I don't want to invest in a year of partying, especially if it's sort of, you know, in the hinterlands of some country that nobody's ever been to before. That's a surefire way to freak mom and dad out. So, <laughs> for instance, when I said I was going to go take a gap year, I started talking to my mom and it was, it was not more than a half a heartbeat later. I said, mom, I want to go take a gap year and go to India. I swear to God, not more than a half a heartbeat later, she said, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just like, like mom and dad get to do the mom and dad thing. And it took some time to convince them. But once, once they finally got on board, we created some parameters to, you know, have some better outcomes, a little bit of security and sort of support mechanisms. Um, they were all gung ho for it. And I, I, you know, coming back and having seen the pre gap year, Ethan and the post gap, Ethan, you know, I, I don't think any of them would say that it wasn't money well spent. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, I think that's been the resistance in the U S we're so driven by achievement, right? We're so ambitious and driven as a culture that the idea, you know, back like when I was young, when we were young, back in the nineties, take a year off and don't go to school. That's, that's irresponsible. Right. And how, how could, you know, just what your parents told you. Right. And so generationally, I think that there's, there's a big shift going on right now. Right. And that is, it's the gap year is gaining traction and credibility slowly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could tell, you can tell us, and that's, that's part of what I'm interested in finding out from you is, is this something that there's still resistance towards or are families and parents starting to go, this is a great idea. Let's do yeah. it. Versus our parents that were probably like, wait a second, this doesn't fit the plan, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that's how the world changes. Well, it's that's such a good question, dude. Um, yeah, so, so it's funny. Ever since the Great Recession, the higher education sort of value proposition has been in question. Um, you know, it, it, during the Great Recession, everyone was like, you know, oh, but Bill Gates didn't need it. And, you know, uh, they, they sort of list the sort of the unicorns and sort of tout that that's somehow sort of, you know, relevant for them. And, and inevitably, of course, it's not. Um, you know, going off to college, um, getting a degree for a career that sounds great, but, you know, the value proposition, the, the social contract, if you you will, that all of us were sold, um, that there's a whole generation, you know, for, for that great recession generation for whom none of it applied, right? Work hard, get into a good school, doesn't matter what it costs because the bachelor's degree is going to make it all sort of pencil out and you're going to have a career and a happy family, happy life sort of, you know, off into the sunset. And, and what happened was when, when all of those great recession folks, you know, sort of came about, people started losing retirement money those vacancies that that generation would have graduated from their bachelor's degree and gone into a career with were no longer available. 
And so, so again, then you saw the great sort of socioeconomic sort of separation of those who could reinvest in, in you know, graduate degrees did, but they, there's this whole segment of the population that sort of like the social contract was broken. And so they're standing back and saying, man, I don't know that college is really sort of what's right for me. And, and on one front, I'm sort of really thrilled about that because one of the upshots that's come from that, I think quite strongly, is that there's been this resurgence in the skilled trades, right? So, I mean, let's be honest, I'm an educator, right? Like I run a nonprofit. Um, a plumber is going to earn more per year <laughs> than, than me, like probably by a factor two or three. And, and I'm totally okay with that because I don't want to be a plumber. But, but I mean, gosh, if you're interested in plumbing and sort of, you know, working with your hands every day and seeing the results at the end of a good day of work and being tired from it, you know, as opposed to staring at a computer screen, like, I think there's whole segments of the population for whom that's going to be more and more important, not just to like society, but to their own sense of fulfillment, right? Um, yeah. And so, these, are the, these are the people that don't do well in school anyway, in the traditional sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and we've kind of had this is this on this pedestal college is the thing that will get you there. And that's not true anymore. And, no. you know, just as a side note, and I've, I've said this on multiple podcasts, I think it's absurd and ridiculous that we ask 18 year olds and 19 year olds to pick a major and and pick a career like mm -hmm. we do it we still do it but we all know <laughs> at least the younger generations know that that's not how it's going to play out right and this this hopping of majors i had a friend who hopped majors like 12 times like he was like a professional student and guess what he's doing <laughs> nothing that had to do with any of those degrees nothing you know like he's, he's very successful in his own way but why are we still asking 18 year olds what they're going to be and why, why the hopping of, of majors, like just get it done. Like, that's my thing. Unless you know, you want to be a doctor or, or something very, or a nurse or something very specific, like that requires pre-med or pre-nursing. Otherwise pick a degree, get it done and get into the world and start experiencing it, which is part of that gap year message. And that is college isn't going to be the thing to define you college is your degree isn't going to be the thing that pushes you in the direction of your career mm -hmm. no it's so true and, and i think it's you're absolutely right that, that you know especially as a young person right like like based on what you know which is you know certainly a, a very narrow sliver of the world you're now being asked to make decisions that that you know for us as adults we we can look at those decisions and say okay like this is just sort of the next step the decision helps sort of focus your future, but it's not sort of bound and concrete. But for young adults, they don't have that perspective. And so they're standing up and, and saying, wait, you're telling me I have to choose a major. I'm 18. You're asking me to choose the rest of my life right now. What are you insane? Rightly so. You know, it, it, it's interesting. One of the things I often like times like to talk about is this notion of like a rites of passage, right? When are you an adult in our culture? And if you ask that sort of, you know, neurodevelopmentally, you know, you, you know, the data probably even better than I do, but you know, it's not until you're around the age of 25 that your actual sort of neurological pathways ha are, are fully matured. Um, and that could be as, as late as early thirties for some people or, or as young as, you know, 17 or 18 for some, but for the vast majority, it's that mid twenties sort of range when you're finally deciding who you are. And, and, and we're asking them to make decisions based on most of the fact that, that most of them have never been outside of the country. 
Most of them sort of only have their parents to role model from. Most of them have been helicopter parented to some degree, um, um, just because that was that was just for the generational trend at the time, right? Remember all those kids who got or the parents who got in trouble for free range parenting by letting their kids walk a mile as a ten year old to the park by themselves, like that that child services was called. That was the culture that they were all raised in, and so so I think. It's, I think it's absolutely insanity. I agree. There's no rites of passage in our country. In fact, it's kind of ironic in a, in a somewhat depressing way, if you think about it, that for many, that the process of actually applying for college, where you're taking a summative look of what you've accomplished in your life and espousing a path forward, that's what the application process does, is the closest thing that we have to rites of passage, where you're effectively selling yourself. You're not sort of actually just objectively saying, what am I interested in and what I've accomplished? Um, I think it's backwards. I think it's horribly backwards. And then when you add the added sort of component of, of the cost of higher education, you know, the great irony for me is, is, you know, now being 41, and I'm sure most adults would say this, is that if someone, if I won the lottery, I, I had this conversation, granted I'm an educator, so I surround myself with a bunch of educators sort of as a career. But most of us, if, 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 if we were saying like, if, if you won the lottery, what would you do with it? One of the first things that most of my peers said would go back to school because they feel like they would be at a maturity level to frankly capitalize off of that education at such a greater order than when we were 18 or 19 where we were more busy sort of, you know, in, you know, flirting or, you know, worried about the party or like, what are my notes to regurgitate? Not what am I learning? Right? <laughs> like, I mean, education became about sort of regurgitation, not about sort of actually, you know, embodying lessons. So here's a, here's a great example. This is, this is one of my classic examples. So, so a, a young adult, graduates from high school and they're like, I want to go into a career of marine biology. What doesn't sound great about marine biology, right? Ask a high schooler, what does the job of a marine biologist entail? And nine out of 10 times, they'll say sort of a lot of research, you're in the ocean, like that sounds awesome. So a, a typical path of a student pursuing a marine biology degree, their freshman year in college, they're sort of fulfilling a lot of the prerequisites. Sophomore year, they're chipping away at some of the, sort of the, the, some of the hard science classes and it's not their junior year that they're maybe doing sort of intense labs or or hopefully at that point doing an internship to actually have some real hands on what's the work of a marine biologist but guess what the real work of a marine biologist is probably 85 to 90 percent writing grants and in a lab and only five to ten percent on in the ocean but that's probably the primary driver for a young person in choosing that career However, if you followed the traditional path, it wouldn't be until your junior year. You're already heavily invested, heavily in debt. The thought of changing your major sounds ludicrous to add two more years, maybe three to an undergraduate degree that's already crazy expensive. No, you're just going to keep doing the same thing that's in front of you. And ultimately, hopefully sort of cobbling together a career that, that really has purpose and, and joy for you. Um, as opposed to doing it the gap year way. Take some time out or as we call it, time on, explore what the real world is doing, judge whether that's your path, and then make a decision forward. So, so for instance, um, um, is a bachelor's degree necessary? Do you need that on average now $40,000 in undergraduate debt? Or do you want to be a plumber and earn more than you know, many who have that undergraduate degree? It's everybody's choice. And I think that's sort of one of the key things about a quality gap year is that I, I couldn't emphasize this more. And so I, I'll say it probably a couple times if I could, you know, bold speech, I do it here. But, but the best ones are, are, are frankly 
people driven. They're driven by the student. It's not to say that sort of you should script everything out, mom and dad, I'm going to have a career. It's going to be A to B to C to D to E. And then F is my career. Like, like each step should be a layer of exploration where it's the student who's driving the train and the train is on a pathway towards frankly, a better sense of self-awareness because only when you know where you are, can you know where you're going, right? And think about that from the personal sense. I'm sorry, I went a little bit meta there, but I, th I think you can follow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that. I like that phrase you used, time in, time on versus time off. Because we have this, mm. this perception that it's like, oh, you're going to just chill and hang out and do nothing. Like what you're talking about is the uh, freshman year experience, right? But it's, it's, I couldn't agree more. And Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit, says you're going to find what you're good at. You're going to find your passion. You're going to find your career by interaction, not introspection, right? Mm -hmm. It's getting out mm -hmm. in, in that very thing. I mean, how many guys do we know our age that are attorneys that hate their careers? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And or I, I'm not to pick on the attorneys. Um, I love you guys. <laughs> and I, I love my friends who are attorneys. But they're more often the ones at a dinner party to be like, bro, I hate my career. But, yeah. you know, it provides and, and we're doing, you know, and that's okay too. Like, I don't think everyone, we could probably, you and I could probably get off on a tangent. I don't know that everyone has to, has to like love and get meaning out of their career. I think, I think it's better that way, but that's how I'm wired and it's how you're wired, right? And I can, mm -hmm. I can tell that without even asking you. But, you know, I, I think that my friends who decided very young what they were going to be a lot of them are not very excited about their career path where I floundered, man. My twenties were, I was all over and it was beautiful. And <laughs> I, I say I floundered, like you talked about the brain, you know, kind of, we kind of figure out who we are by 25. I was 26 when I bought a round trip flight to Costa Rica. It was actually more like wow. a one way. It was like a, like indetermined end to going down there. And that's, that has shaped the rest of my adult life and my career and everything that I'm doing now. Um, and that, I call that my like after college gap year. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. It's all and, right. and maybe that's a good segue in um, to like, let's just cover some basic data here. What's a gap year? What are different kinds of gap years? Does it have to be a full year? Does it have to be work? Does it have to be travel? Like, like kind of give me the pitch, you know, to that questioning parent, like, you know, my son or daughter wants to take a gap year. We don't know about this. What are some ways we can, like, what are options out there for gap years? Totally. Yeah, no, great, great, great question. Um, um, and it's interesting because I'm, as I'm sort of hearing us both talk, like, you know, we're both guys. And, and it's interesting because sort of the demographics of, of gap year participants is actually, if it's a domestic program, it tends to sort of be about even keel, 50-50 men, maybe even slightly more men than women. Um, but if it's international, uh, it's more like 60-40, 70-30 women to men. Um, and so that, that sort of maturity delay I'm afraid our half of the species is the one who's driving the data there um, um, for good cause, though, at times. Um, anyway, you're, you're not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> um, your, your question's a good one. Like, like what? Yeah. What is a gap year and, and sort of, you know, how do those get expressed? So 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 you're right. It's it's kind of ironic. And it's been one of the greatest challenges about a gap year. And, and, and my work at the Gap Year Association is how do you define a gap year? Because by its very nature, it needs to be significant to the individual, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's intrinsically significant to everyone. 
roundabout way of saying sort of um, um, the great strength of the gap year is that sort of it, it allows for each person to explore their particular juice, whatever that might be. Um, you know, the, the golden thread, if you've ever heard that term before. Um, so we define a gap year, I'm going to do the Richard Nixon air quote thing, but as a semester or year of experiential learning, typically taken after high school and prior to career or post-secondary education in order to deepen one's practical, professional, and personal awareness. And so I could unpack that a lot. Um, sort of maybe the best way is to say that is in the personal terms. When I got back from my gap year, it took me two years to be able to sort of espouse, to, you know, in a phrase, say what I got from it. And here's what I got from it was um, that I already have everything I could possibly need to be successful in life. Um, and so, so I, I do need to break that down just a little bit. It's not to say that I have everything intrinsically, but it's to have, it's to say that I have at my disposal, the resources, the network, the people, the relationships to, to be successful. Um, now what is success? This is in my mind, probably the, 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 the best of all the questions within a quality gap year is I will contend that most of us, especially in Western cultures, are basically spoon-fed a version of success that may not be ours. In essence, here's the real challenge. By definition, how could any human being be successful living someone else's definition of success? You can't. I think that's a tautology. That's just sort of hardwired. You cannot. So then the real challenge becomes, this is sort of the Nietzschean in me. I was a philosophy major in college, um, philosophy and English. Um, it is, so the real challenge is, is how do you take responsibility for yourself in that way? Um, um, what is success? How do you define it? Is, is it a BMW? If so, great. But you should be choosing that eyes wide open rather than as a default, because then you're just going to be chasing up, you know, keeping up with the Joneses your entire life. And I got to say, in, in terms of all of the data I know about happiness and what that is and is not, um, keeping up with the Joneses is not it. Yeah. Um, um, it's more intrinsically defined rather than extrinsically defined. Um, and so that means taking some responsibility. So, so a gap year, most students, they just do a semester of programming. Some of the best advice I could offer on a gap year is to think about it as, as sort of mapping onto an academic, an academic year. So, so you might say, for instance, thinking about, you know, fall, winter, spring, summer as four distinct quadrants, where, where my best advice on this is to, is to break it into four distinct elements. And so I break these down as one component of volunteering or service. Um, and I think this is really important. This is about cultivating empathy. This is about understanding that, that we live in a more interdependent world than we ever have before. And this is about understanding that when, as just happened recently, there's some major earthquakes in, in um, uh, Southern California or a hurricane or some other natural disaster, um, as a species and as a planet, I don't think we have the luxury anymore to say, oh, that's their problem, not mine, because uh, it's going to happen to us um, at some point. And, and what goes around comes around. And so, you know, I think we need to do a better job of leaning into this global community. So that's one part is volunteering or service. Another part is some amount of career exploration or an internship. Um, they even like tantamount to trying before you buy the marine biology example, um, a student who has a, a deeper sense of what they want to accomplish in college, guess what? 
they're going to perform better at college. And guess what? Students who perform better at colleges not only are more wanted by those colleges, but they also tend to earn more in merit aid. So ironically, um, or perhaps not ironically, one of the positive outcomes we're finding from students who take a gap year is that oftentimes they earn more in merit aid once they hit the college cycle, because the college knows that that student's going to graduate more sort of quickly. The average or the median time for graduation for a gap year student is 3.75 years. I mean, what? Um, um, your so it, it, they're, they're likely to graduate quicker if they take a gap year. Exactly. Yeah. Graduate wow. quicker. Um, um, have better GPAs, like literally better GPAs. Um, they take on more leadership roles. Um, um, to, that, to that point that we were talking about sort of passion and purpose, 86% of gap year students, once they've graduated and hit their career, say that they're satisfied or very satisfied with their careers. That's a really high ratio. Do you want to hazard a guess for what it is in our country of those that are actively dissatisfied? You know, to the attorney comments, um, um, I always make fun of Dairy Queen because I'm, I'm like, you know, if you ended up working at Dairy Queen, um, um, like is a job at Dairy Queen for a summer a gap year? I don't think so, but I love good Dairy Queen. Um, I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone <laughs> a, a blizzard. Um, but, but you get my question, right? Yeah. So um, career exploration and internship is, is, I think, a very important part of it. Um, paid work is also a very important part of it. Um, I, I think about this as sort of one, combating the notion that the gap year is only for the well-to-do. Um, you can, if you save money over the course of a summer, um, um, that could be enough to have a quality, amazing gap year where you're working some and you're traveling some, volunteering some, doing work trades along the way. Um, I think it's also important to recognize that you reap what you sow, right? If, if, if mom and dad are saying, I'm paying for all of this, most students, this is just human nature. This isn't a cultural thing. This isn't a generational thing. It's just human nature. We tend to ghost it. Um, yeah, I might show up, but I'm not going to actively participate. I'm not going to get everything I can out of it. So we love to see students who have invested a little bit of their own money into, into gap years. Inevitably, it works quite well. And then the last of the four components, so, so far we've got volunteering or service. Second is career exploration or internship. Third is paid work. And the fourth, I always like to call it, it's a free radical. <laughs> it, it's a way of saying <laughs> part of the idea of a gap year is that you might discover the thing that you want to get paid to do for the rest of your life. What wouldn't that, I mean, that's kind of the dream, right? And so if you overstructure your time so that that great opportunity doesn't have the opportunity itself to be sort of explored, experimented with, you know, kick the tires on a new prospect, you know, career, hobby, relationship, uh, country, whatever it might be, then I, I like to say that's tantamount to leaving gold on the table. Because once you come back, inevitably sort of, you know, the patterns, the habituation and sort of societal trends will, will loop you right back into the, the, into the fold, just like I did, right? Following the herd to college. Um, so so I, the key lesson here is don't overstructure your gap year. A little bit of downtime is, I think, a very important part of it. Not say that you're kicking your heels up the entire time, you know, on Ibiza, you know, the beaches in Ibiza and, you know, drinking beers and, and hanging out. No, um, um, that's, that's like one day of, of, you know, the month, one day of, of the year. Um, the rest of the time is, you know, um, doing something with purpose, building relationships, exploring the world around you so that it makes more sense. You have more context for it. I love the free radical concept because we're so Americans, we're so structured, man, mm. especially in this day and age with this generation of kids and young adults that are, that are transitioning into adulthood. We're so structured and it's like, it's all got to have meaning. It's all got to be planned out and worked out. And that free radical space makes 
a lot of sense. Um, mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. So I think this is interesting because I, I think this is where you and I start to overlap. And that is I run a wilderness adventure therapy program and we're getting a lot of phone calls for gap year semesters or, or young adults that want to start a gap year. But as you know, and we know depression is high, anxiety is high. There's a lot going on out there. And so we're getting these calls for like, I want to start my gap year at Pure Life, which is, a, you know, in my opinion, and I'm biased, a, a great fit. You know, I know that you're not into that therapeutic side. That's not what you guys do. But what, where are you seeing that overlap? Are you getting calls and are you working with families or seeing programs that are like, man, you know, we really want to take this young person, but there's some, there's some problems here or there's some risk or there's some, some issues that they need to sort out before they can engage in a healthy way in our program, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, so, gosh, it's so funny. I'm going to go, I'm going to go backwards in time, back to the future. <laughs> um, for the youngers in the audience, um, that won't mean anything, but just go to Bill and Ted's and, and, and laugh a bit. Um, uh, but yeah, going back in time, uh, you know, maybe five, even 10 years ago, um, sort of half of the calls that us and I've been doing gap year work for about 20 years now and half of the calls that you'd get would would be a, a bit of a veiled call which is like like well what kind of student is this for and you know they're, they're asking a question that's got a bunch of space between the lines and what they're really asking is is like is this is this for sort of kids who are in trouble is this for adjudicated youth where where they got in trouble with the law um are you know is, is are, are there mental health issues are, are like like, is this where kids go if they're having problems with sort of the, the intonation? And, and quite frankly, at the time, the gap year sort of programs that were out there, they went way out there. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, Myanmar, uh, you know, um, Uganda, um, Paraguay, places that are, that are pretty off the beaten path. And so that's not where you want a student who doesn't have sort of a, a sort of higher degree of stability. Um, and what's happened over this last 10 years or so is just like, I mean, yeah, you, you know the data, man. It's like, like students are, they're stressed out and, it, and it's social media, it's technology, it's this iGen generation where, where you're constantly bombarded by um, um, sort of media. Like, I, I think I read somewhere that the average young adult has, I, I believe, seven different online personas that they manage. I mean, I don't know about you, but like one is enough for me um, <laughs> to try and have seven. It just, it sounds mind numbing and, and to keep all of that straight and not get stressed out. And at the same time, sort of have this growing level of awareness that mental health has real physical health attributes. So, so current generations, I think are frankly, they're much more savvy to our emotional body, um, um, and asking for more. And so, so here's what's happened in the gap year sector is, is what once became a bit of an iron wall of, of we don't do therapeutic now is taking sort of like, like I, I think much more responsibly. So good program providers and GYA has a whole process for accrediting pro program providers, but good program G GYA is your group, right? Gap year association. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, um, the gap year association, like, like those accreditation protocols, they're, they're smartly designed so that sort of one of the best advices I could ever offer a family is sort of if they're trying to judge, you know, is this a right fit for my kid is call up the organization and ask who are the instructors in the field. 
Um, most sort of GYA accredited programs won't, for instance, have a therapist who's in the field with them, but they will have an emergency therapist available to do any of the clinical sort of issues that might come up in the moment, and they'll have pre-greased all of those conversations with existing clinicians in advance. Um, um, but here's what's interesting is all of those sort of wilderness therapy programs, a lot of them are, are, are taking students and building them up to have maybe a second stage gap year that's more sort of on the, the current beaten path, but still having sort of the ability to go way off path, right? But, but maybe yeah. with a little bit more structure. So oftentimes you might see a student who's graduating from high school, maybe they're having struggles, they go into a wilderness therapy program, they, they walk out with a much deeper sense of sort of emotional awareness, what are their triggers, what are the stuff that they're actually working on, and then a very intentional placement for that next stage of gap year where we can go a layer or two deeper, um, um, is, an, is a very appropriate next step. Um, and good programs are, are well equipped to handle students who, who you know, have any variety of medical or mental health challenges. Um, they just want to know about them in advance. And, and so I think this is one really critical part to, to, to really highlight is if you have that student and you're in dialogue with a sort of a potential gap year provider, don't hold back. Um, um, you know, we all want our kids to get into that next thing that we think is going to be good for them. Um, but think about sort of when you're building a cohort of 12 students in, you know, the middle of the developing world, if you know that there's two students who have maybe a higher need, you can plan for it. But if you have two who you know about and five who you don't, that program becomes unwieldy very quickly and, and outcomes suffer, students suffer, and, and it's all done with best intentions. But I guess that's my, my, my core sort of observation here is, is just be transparent. We as program directors, as administrators, we want the best for your students too. Don't hold back. Um, um, these are people who are versed in, in the variety of mental health challenges that are out there. They have the resources to back it up if there's like a, even a medication that may or may not be appropriate, but ask the question and they'll give you an answer. If you don't ask the question, um, you're rolling dice with, with a pretty high cost that, that I don't think is good for any of us. Is that fair? Thank you for saying that. Like, that's so true. And you're right. Well-intentioned parents get on a phone. They want, they want their young adult into a program or, you know, of some sorts. They hide information. And the real reality is it puts everyone at risk. And we, we've seen this in our own program. We have a very, very strict um, admissions you know, process. And we still get clients from time to time that aren't appropriate. And it's because the family, I don't know if I would say hide in hid or hiding information, but they're not as transparent as they could be around certain behaviors. And you don't want your son or daughter or yourself, if, you know, if you're a young adult and you're listening, you don't want to be in Uganda and have a panic attack and yeah. have everyone around you not knowing what's going on. Now you can oftentimes, as you said, and this is what I like about the direction that gap programs are going and, and just overall good programming are people that are educated on how to manage that stuff. And oftentimes it's like, cool, now we know you have panic attacks. How do you, how do you respond to that? Do you have medication that we need to work on? Yeah. You know, let's make sure that we're prepared as a staff to manage that. And like, Oftentimes the support can be there, but right. everybody just needs to know. And exactly. And guess what? And sometimes it may not be appropriate to be in the middle of Uganda if you're if you're struggling with some pretty heavy stuff, you know. Yeah. And with all the best intentions in the world, no one no one want young adults, man. They don't want to admit that. 
No one at, at, at 19 or 18 or 20 wants to say, man, I've got some problems that are limiting me from doing what I want to do. It's, that's okay. But, you know, just out of a point of responsibility, I th- thank you for bringing that up. And I'm really, it's good to hear that like these programs are prepared and ready for this kind of thing. So what, what kind of, like when a family hires a program, you know, like it sounds to me like you can, you can do your own gap year. Like you can, you know, whether it's on your own or with your family support or whatever, it's like you can, you can really put this together, but there are programs you can hire. Are these programs, do they see them through the whole four steps that you're talking about? Or are they often providing one, one step and you need to look at two or three different programs? Good question. It's, it's, this is, this is my, my great joy about the field is also, you know, just like most things, it's double-edged, right, um, is the great challenge. Because um, um, the answer is, is yes, all of the above. D, <laughs> D, all of the above. Cool. Um, there are programs that are, um, so there's a new program that I just heard of. Um, they're not accredited. They're just getting launched. They're going to charge $98,000 for a full year, and they're going to do it and travel and hit 28 different cities around the world. Um, not a lot of volunteering, mostly going and sort of doing more site visits and tours of each location. Um, um, and then there's another type of program that is, uh, $750 where you have a, uh, sort of a remote, uh, sort of online, basically like a, like you do it over zoom or Skype, um, um, check in with your mentor who's back here in the States, who's a professor who can see you. So you do the visual checks, but otherwise you're by yourself volunteering with an NGO, a nonprofit organization in the developing world, doing one particular job, probably living with your volunteer director, um, um, very independently. So it really, it really is sort of the gamut that's out there. And, um, that's why there's frankly, you know, there's, there's a whole segment now that's out there of gap year consultants, um, the Gap Year Association even, even has a protocol for accrediting Gap Year consultants so that they know how to vet the placements and how to support the students that they're sending into these hinterlands. Um, and those Gap Year consultants can be a tremendous asset. So, so you could think about doing like a full program. So for instance, like if you did it one semester, so this is sort of some of my best advice is one semester, think of it making the higher investment so that your student learns how to travel travel safely so that they learn sort of what are the medical eyes. Like one of the, the running jokes here is if you have a student that still needs to go to mom and dad and be like, mom, is this cut bad enough to go to the doctor? That's not the student you want to send by themselves to Senegal, right? There's a little bit more training to be done. Mm-hmm. So, so you might invest up front in a more structured experience. And then the downstream experiences can be much more independent since you've already made the investment in, in sort of that student's education and you know, cross-cultural terms, in safety terms, in travel terms, in budgeting terms. I mean, you don't want the student off by themselves and they're like, oh, I lost my debit card and I don't know how to budget. And can you wire me some money? Like that's, that's a bad scenario. <laughs> um, you know, so, so yeah, I think, I think um, um, there are a lot of programs that are out there. It's, it's just really hard to figure out sort of what the right fit is. And, and that's why there's gap year consultants that are out there. They charge, I think some of them do like 150 an hour. Some of them have like a set price for like $2,800 or something. And oftentimes they can be some of the best value. They oftentimes will know, like a lot of times the Rolodexes are like, I know a guy. So, so interim programs used to have a contact in Paris where if you're loving French, you love Paris culture, French culture, and you love art, you could go be an intern, live in her space for free, have free studio space, intern under her, and all your job is to do is to be a gopher for her. Go get paints, get some food, clean up the space, 
and then you have a, a fairly low cost, amazingly immersive experience in France. Like good luck finding that online. <laughs> right. That's really cool. Yeah. I think, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask the question because I, I just want your take. My, my impression, or I think there might be an impression that gap years are something that rich families do. Wealthy mm. families are doing. Mm. Um, can you talk us through that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is uh, right into the crosshairs, man. It's a great question. Because I, I think there's, so let's be honest, travel is a luxury for most. It's an additional cost. It, it starts to make sort of less sense if you just look at it from a financial perspective. If you look at it from an educational perspective, I think it makes worlds of sense, globes of sense, continents of sense even. International education, experiential education, these are things that, that tend to cost a lot of money. And so, so some of the things that we're very keen on are highlighting the amount of money that's given out in terms of scholarships. So, so last year, we do it every year, we do a state of the field survey. Last year, almost $5 million was giving away, given away in needs-based financial aid through gap year programs that are part of our umbrella, part of our network. Um, you just have to often ask about it. There are sort of opportunities to um, um, do creative fundraising. I had one student who did a local radio show, talked about what she was going to be doing and Brandon managed to bring in $7,500 um, just from sort of networking her way in and doing a 30 minute radio spot, talking about what she was going to do and some of the cool stuff that that is. Um, other students have, you know, tapped their rotary or gone to their church or their synagogue or their mosque to try and bring in some extra donation dollars. Um, most good gap year programs at some point have a volunteer component. And obviously that's an easier thing to fundraise around doing like a GoFundMe or something like that. Um, um, those are all sort of great ways to go about it. Um, one of the things that I'm always keen on highlighting again is, you know, if, uh, doing a gap year, oftentimes students tend to earn more in merit-based financial aid once they get to college. And oftentimes colleges have, you know, leadership scholarships or what have you that are sort of, you know, financially sort of, you know, available for, for, for young adults who are returning from their gap years. Um, but if you ask me sort of the, the, this, this is sort of where, where I think sort of, I'm, I'm, this is may, may be a bit of an affront to some in the higher ed world, but hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a challenging mood. Um, um, <laughs> you feeling so saucy? <laughs> yeah, feeling saucy, yeah. Um, um, maybe I'm just back from the 4th of July week, and so uh, a little bit more juice in me. But, but I, here's where I'd like to see this whole thing go is, is you know, I think what we're watching is a sort of, um, sort of the higher education world is turning into a much more modular community. So, so um, demographically, fewer students are going to be going to college in the next in sort of decades. And that's just a generational thing, just population booms and sort of drops. Um, um, so there's going to be fewer students going there. Um, the, the private for-profits, or sorry, private not-for-profits, the Harvards, the Ivies, those that are in the single-digit acceptance rate, those aren't going anywhere. The publics aren't going anywhere. The, the community colleges are going anywhere. It's the private liberal arts that are in that tier two sort of middle of the road that are really struggling to find their place in sort of the higher education circle. And, and here's where I think it's all going to go is, is towards, towards this sort of a modular approach to, to a bachelor's degree such that in 10, maybe 20 years, you could do eight different sort of completely different semesters with an educational advisor that on summary will, will translate into a bachelor's degree. Maybe it won't be from Harvard. Maybe it'll be from the state of Oregon or something like that. But, but I think something like that is a really profound adjustment to the higher education conundrum where, where sort of now you're not looking at it as like an automatic four year. It's not $60,000 a year. It could be a lot less. And so, so how does gap year fit into that? 
my big hairy audacious goal if you've ever heard that term before is yep. it's, it's really to do this it's, it's to make a semester of gap time that's inclusive of college credit with access to federal financial aid dollars to fafsa um, and here's why i think that makes sense is as i think a college is willing to give to give away a semester's worth of credit if they know that they're going to get a high quality high performing student on the other end of it which is what's what's happening um, I think most students can't afford a gap year sort of with sort of the, the programming training and structure that they need. Like, again, if you've never been overseas before, like most Americans haven't, um, I, I would be hesitant to send someone overseas, you know, and granted, I just want to sort of put this carrot out there. Not all good gap years have to be overseas. There's tremendously cross-cultural experiences from New York State to Louisiana or, you know, Nebraska to Alaska. There's, there's great cross-cultural experiences to be had there as well. And so, so I'm really keen to make the sort of the price point more accessible for young adults. And, and to be completely honest, I really do see this as something as big as not just an educational shift, not a higher ed shift, not a sort of a purpose shift, but I really do see this as quite frankly, a sort of a U.S. into the future, almost even a national security shift. Because if we don't know what's happening in the rest of the world, you know, broadly speaking as a country, then, then we're getting left behind. Just sort of fundamentally, that's the calculus of, of what's happening. And my fear is that, is that we, we already are getting left behind. The number of, of young adults who travel overseas, you know, the number of passport holders, um, the number of people who understand second languages. You know, the U.S. is definitely the big dog in the world. But economically, you know, China's going to surpass us in the next few years. That's, that's already written. Um, and that's just the economics of it. Not just population, you know, there's so many other areas where, where I think we're going to struggle to stay relevant if we don't make this kind of an investment in our youth. Yeah, I'm so on board with this concept of a modular university experience. It, it's, it's ripe. I mean, the university experience is ripe for change in, in a, you know, a totally different approach to it. Uh, it's, mm. you know, as you've said throughout this entire interview, it's expensive. It's, it's very um, prescriptive and it's, it's not quite working in the way that it used to, right? And listen, I believe in higher edge, uh, education, I have a master's degree, like I'm, I'm not anti here, but the sheer cost and what people are getting out of it, I agree, um, there's something missing and it's ripe to be disrupted. So well, I, mean, I would love parents- to see that. As you said, our parents' generation, I mean, you know, my parents, they worked their way through college and managed to graduate without debt. Now, at least in sort of what I understand in the state by state is it used to be that roughly 30 to 40 percent of of a public university system's budget was given to it by the state. Now, on average, it's it's about 5 percent, which is why sort of costs continue to rise for the public schools. We've underfunded education for now generations. And here's the great challenge with that is we've kicked the can down the road so far that now there's a deficit to be made up that I think with one good generation of investment, we could see a radical shift in, in sort of job satisfaction, career satisfaction, sense of community, joy, you know, output, GDP, all of the ways that we measure those things. But it's going to take one good generation of investment. And, and unfortunately, sort of Dollars are going the wrong direction on that one right now. Um, you know, not to say that national defense isn't important, but um, I almost feel like like education is rapidly approaching the point of of being on par to national defense in terms of urgency. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, preaching to the choir here. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and I think I think 
you know, as, as I said, when I asked the question, is this for wealthy people? Like I did, like I said, my, my second kind of gap year was at 26 years old. I was graduating from college. I'd already worked my first job and it was a shift, a dramatic shift in my life in a, in a positive way. I went to Costa Rica for six months and I worked, I worked as a river guide. I worked for outward bound and found the job. You know, I had enough money to make ends meet if I didn't get a job, but I did. I came home from the second gap year, you know, with cash in my pocket. I made money <laughs> and yep. I got accomplished everything I wanted to and more. And it launched a career for me. So I, I'm a big fan of like being creative and it's, it's that paid work focus. Right. But like, I, I don't think money has to be a limitation and it requires a little more creativity. Um, yeah. You might not get to do the volunteer stuff you wanted, but you know, there's a lot of ways to work and do good in the world and get your food and your rent paid for and your next flight. Yeah. Um, I, I, the way that I like to say is more money is more options, but, it, but you're certainly not without more options than you can imagine with less. Yeah. I would love someday. I have baby twins and I would love someday to be like, okay guys, the next year of your life, if you want, <laughs> like <laughs> I want you to see as many countries as you can. I will give you no money and use, use your resources to get you where you need to go. Or like, Hey, work a summer, save up some cash. You know, maybe they got, they've got three, five grand in their bank account. And it's like, yeah. use that for a year and mm. see where it takes you. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm going to be a little bit of a crazy dad, but we'll see where that takes us. But um, anyway, I, I love that. It kind of goes into that free radical space that you're talking about of like, just, you know, make the juice, make it happen. Let's yeah. see where this takes you. And, and like, see, you know, that's exciting to me. And I think that that's good for young adults to learn. It's like you said, you came home and you had everything you needed to succeed. Didn't mean you knew exactly how it was going to play out. But, you know, we often talk about giving young people tools. I like the concept of making them tool makers. You know, you came home a tool maker nice. after yeah. your gap year, right? It wasn't that yeah. someone sat down and said, here's how you budget. And here's how you, you know, here's how you set a schedule and, and you know, manage your time. No, you came home knowing whatever comes my way, I'll figure it out because you did. It. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? I, I think you're so spot on. And, and it, it's, it's, I think about as tantamount sort of rites of passage owning your life, um, resilience and grit, that Melanie Duckworth work that you were talking about as well. Like uh, it's all in the same vein. Um, and I think it's funny if you asked parents sort of, you know, how are your sh kids showing up in a lot of those veins? A lot of parents would probably be like, well, they're not where I'd like them to be, but you know, this is where we are. And, and it's like, okay, so, so, so what can you do as a parent, you know, for that next player? And, and I think, you know, in, in my mind, this is, this is, Again, um, it's funny. So, so like I said, I've been doing gap year work for 20 years. I, back when I was running programs, um, on average, we would kick anywhere between 2 to 4% of students off for usually a drug or an alcohol violation, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, get this, though. In roughly half to two-thirds of those students who we, who we had to kick off, they still recommended the gap year to their friends. Which wow. is to say, even though that they, quote unquote, failed by outside terms, to them, the success was so manifest that they encouraged more of their peers to do it. I don't know how better way to say it. I mean, like, the, 
outcomes that students are going to get from, and I, I put it, you know, strongly in the banks of experiential education. Gap years are just experiential education writ large over a duration of time at a particular juncture of time. That's all that a gap year is. It's all experiential education. We just happen to be doing it over a duration of time with some structures and, and, and at this time period in a young person's life. Um, um, I, I think it's all part of the same, the same equation. Awesome. We could talk all day. And um, I want to be sensitive to your time. Any, anything we missed, anything we got to know um, that I haven't asked you or we haven't covered that, like, that you think people need to know if they're considering this, if they're resistant to it, if, yeah, those two scenarios. Yeah. I, I guess um, um, here's, my, here's my, 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 my big advocacy is if you're curious about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do one thing, and that's go to our website um, and start looking at programs. But here's what I want you to do is I don't want you to write down the name of the program. I want you to write down the things that get you excited within each program. Because here's, here's one of the greatest challenges about the gap years. Most people just don't know what it is. So, so what this effectively will do is create a bit of a roadmap of what an amazing gap year could be. And, and what I know is that in, in those cases where students are, are given an option of a gap year as part of their college list, right? That's sort of the opening salvo of a college list that a consultant might offer or, or a high school counselor might offer to say we should discuss these things, right? In those circumstances where a student had a gap year option on that college list, half of the students chose to take one, which tells me that they're thirsty for these experiences, they don't know A, how to make and find good valuable ones, and B, that they exist in the first place. So take the lid off, sit them in front, have them write down, you know, no more than 30 or 45 minutes looking at program details. Don't write down names, just write down activities. And that's going to be a great roadmap because now your eyes are going to be open to the world of things that you could do. Do you think everybody should do a gap year? No, I do. I'm, I'm not even paid to do it, I, to say that. I just really think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to see us as a country move to a shift where every decade, every two de decades, society said it's important, like it is a societal good for you to be enjoying your life. And so let's take a six-month eddy every decade, every two decades to go make sure that sort of you're in tune with who you are, sort of how you express your life is how you feel like it's best lived. My 41-year-old, one of my best friends, just took a year and a half. Traveled the world, nice. traveled the nation, and you know, life-changing experience for him. So I'm, I'm definitely gonna take another one. <laughs> Not time soon, <laughs> but me and my wife, I'm like, we're doing a gap year uh, in the next couple of years at some point. So um, yeah, I'm a huge believer as well, man. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find us uh, where I'm headquartered in Portland, Oregon. Um, if you're local, uh, ring me up and I'm, I'm a cheap date, the cost of a latte, and I'll, I'll happily tuck your ear off. We have a coworker who lives in Boston, um, but otherwise we're online. That's, that's where we exist. Uh, gapyearassociation.org. We're a membership association. So if you're a, an individual student, a gap year graduate, and you want to tell your story, we'd love to pump it out. Um, if you're an educator, a college sort of uh, higher ed per, you know, um, um, person or if you're um, a business person, um, if you run gap year programs, we've got a spot for you at the Gap Year Association. Um, look us up and uh, consider joining. All right, great, man. Hey, I really enjoyed our time together. Appreciate the interview, Ethan. Right back at you. Thanks, good questions, Andrew, I appreciate it. It was a fun interview.
Thanks a lot, man. You made it easy. Hey guys, thanks again for joining this episode of In the Trenches with me, your host, Andrew Taylor. If you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you would subscribe to my podcast. You can find me on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. So thanks for joining and hope to see you next time.